0: Lipinski is a hoot. The former roller skater from New Jersey turned figure skater from Houston became the youngest ever Olympic champion and now she's become a most unusual combination of fashion icon and sports commentator. She and Johnny Weir will again be on the Olympic skating coverage for NBC where they are known as much for their fashion looks as they are for their commentary. Welcome Tara.
1: Oh thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's great of you. Uh, The viewers, people can't see this, but even this early in the morning, you have what appears to be beautiful pajamas on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. my mom gave them to me for Christmas.
0: (laughs) They look great. Uh, You know, let's start with the fashion. Uh, I think if I have this right, you and Johnny did a Project Runway uh, segment where the designers uh, competed to dress you during the Olympic coverage. What did you tell the designers to look for? What were you going for there?
1: Well, first off, it was so exciting to be part of Project Runway because I have loved that show. I've personally watched it. And then to be part of it, it sort of felt so surreal to be part of the challenge. It was so exciting. And it was everything that that I thought it was. It was you know, very intense. And Obviously as a commentator I'm used to voicing my opinion but when you meet all these designers and they're so tired and they're working overnight and they want this moment so badly it was really difficult for Johnny and I to to pick which outfit to wear you know at the upcoming Olympics but um, you know, obviously Johnny and I love to to bring a little personality to to the commentating booth and figure skating is is never lacking in glam or or sparkles. So we like to match it, you know, when I think back to the early days of figure skating commentary, everyone would be in black tie. So I like that Johnny and I are somewhat carrying on the the tradition just in a in a different way. And um when we worked on well, when we did Project Runway, we just told the designers you know to kind of flip through looks that we had before obviously um we i guess we have pretty distinct looks and um they sort of ran with it and took it took it from there and it was fabulous to see what they all came up with it really was overnight that they came up with these designs. And then the the winner was just very obvious to Johnny and I when it walked down the runway. It it, it just screamed, Tara and Johnny.
0: (laughs) Oh, you know that I was going to ask you that, that you could see the cat in the picture that this was the design. This is who both of you agreed. This is who we're going with.
1: Yes, we we kind of looked over at each other. We we have this sort of non-spoken language nowadays. And I could tell when I looked at him immediately with my eyes open and wide and he had the same look. And, and what was great is obviously everyone else on that show is so knowledgeable and hearing their critiques and their opinions. And, and they loved that look, too. So it was it was really fun.
0: And um, when will we see this? So I think
1: we're going to be wearing it during the pairs. I can't remember if it's short or free skate, but I think during the pairs event, we'll be wearing that outfit.
0: It's just such a clever idea, and I mean, tell me, what do you think you and Johnny? What chemistry do you have, and what do you bring to the broadcast?
1: Well, you know, it's hard to explain because for us, I think it comes really naturally. So it's not something we think about or try to force um, or manipulate to happen, and. It happened the moment we met uh, officially, uh, you know, in a hallway at Stanford at the NBC campus waiting to do our individual broadcast when I was doing the women and Johnny was covering the men. And of course, we knew each other before that skating a small world. Of course, I knew who Johnny Weir was and vice versa, but we never really had time to connect. And when we were sitting waiting um, in in that hallway that night it was instantaneous. The connection was just there from the start. And we both looked at each other and started, you know, coming up with the idea of what if we pitch to NBC that we commentate together instead of doing it separately. And it, it, even just for us to both want to do that or have that idea, I think is so unique in our sport specifically. We're individual skaters. We, we were not uh, pair skaters or dance skaters. So we were never part of a team. We we always were in it alone. So it was interesting that we both felt that draw to connect and, and, and form a partnership and, and know that it, it, it was probably better together.
0: When you remember, when you think of Johnny Weir as a skater, where along the way did the costumes for men change? I mean, how has the evolution come to Johnny Weir? You know,
1: Johnny changed the sport in so many ways, and I think it, again, it was never forced for him or planned out. He the the thing that I admire and and inspires me most about Johnny Johnny just shows up as Johnny Weir every day. What he wants to be, who he wants to be in that moment, what he wants to wear, how he wants to ex- express himself, and he's so comfortable in being himself, which I think is so beautiful. And he he was able to to do that as a competitive figure skater and now as a commentator. And I, I would assume that many people that followed him in the sport, he opened that door to, to really just being your individual self and, and not really caring about maybe what the sport, what box it wants to put you in.
0: Yeah, well, um, I guess we've done all the same sports, except you won a gold medal along the way. But (laughs) I also used to cover the Kentucky Derby. And I remember one time I had a big hat and I thought, oh, this looks great. So I was interviewing Nick Zito, the winner of the trainer, and all I heard in my ear was Kirk Gowdy yelling, get your effing hat out of Nick Zito's face. It looks like a satellite dish. So the next thing you know is me going like this. But did you... Did you and Johnny did anyone ever tell you you might have pushed it too far at the Kentucky Derby?
1: No, and I think that's what's what's been really nice about um working with NBC from the very start with when this team formed and we went to Sochi for NBC Sports, there they really let us experiment with who we wanted to be as a team, as commentators, as on-air personalities, what we wanted to wear. And I think that's why it worked because we weren't given all of these instructions. And again, like I said before, skating, figure skating has that that tendency to try to put you in a certain box and um, NBC really never did that. So I think we we naturally fell into a, a place of just being ourselves. And even when we go to the Derby, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, my hat can never rival Johnny Weir's hat and I never <laughs> want it to, it, you know, I, I come, I, that's I'm riot. the, I'm the plain Jane in this one, but, you know, I think that's what makes Johnny, you know, so much fun and so entertaining. And he puts it would, speaking of the Kentucky Derby and those hats and the designs he comes out, I mean, he spends months and months and months. <laughs> Thinking about it, crafting it, designing it, and i I think that because it's authentic and genuine to him, it it maybe some people think it's over the top, but I never think that it goes too far because it really is Johnny. He's not trying to put on a show.
0: Oh God, no, he's a scream, but I think one year at the Derby and you'll have to describe it to me. I think his dress was better than yours.
1: I mean, remember you know, that
0: white, that long white thing. A oh, he clothes? has,
1: he has the most magnificent um, designs and costumes and outfits. And, and I think that's what works between us as well. You know, we're not the same. We don't have the same fashion sense. And And I and I think we care so much about each other as as friends that sometimes if I'm in the booth and his outfit's really big, I just scooch over. And if I'm a little (laughs) out of frame, it's okay. You know, we got to let his outfit shine.
0: You're broadcasting from Stanford because of because of the covid concerns. Did you have mixed feelings or it would have been um, how would you have felt about going during covid to China?
1: Well, I mean, obviously COVID has changed everything in our sport and broadcast world in the last two years. And I think that the thing I've learned is just to stay flexible and to to go with the flow. We We now commentate from you know, a room in our, our home where we used to be in the studio and obviously we'll be in, in Stanford calling the Olympics. So of course it's going to be slightly different than being in the Olympic arena, but I think the preparation over these last two years in a pandemic and even before we've commentated a lot of our events from Stanford. I'm not sure if people always realize that when they're tuning into to cup of Russia, but we're, we're actually not there. Um, and You know the the studios have an excitement about it, regardless, and and for an Olympic Games, I think that everyone in that in that campus is going to be so pumped and excited. And and I just know for Johnny and I, it's not going to change how we're bringing the event to the audience at home. We get just as excited wherever we are. (laughs) So (laughs) we are so ready and game for this. That you know, you just have to stay flexible and and go with the flow and and. If it's the best to be in Stanford to make sure that we give the right coverage to to the audiences at home, then we're game.
0: You know, you've lived the life of an elite athlete at the Olympics. What are these couple of weeks right now like for an athlete?
1: It's so nerve wracking. I mean, these are the weeks where there's so many thoughts running through your head. Everything's about to culminate in this moment, and in about six minutes, you know, for figure skaters two minutes in the the short program and four minutes in the, in the free skate. And, and that can determine, you know, the rest of your life in a way, you know, so much can change in those six minutes. And it's, um, you know, looking back at the weeks leading up to my Olympic games, I mean, everyone's, um, you know, it, it, circumstance is different, but for me, I had just lost my national title. I had a terrible performance. I was Doubting myself at every turn, I was thinking, "How am I even going to to get on the ice and compete at an Olympic Games?" I'm terrified. Um, just the thought of it was was overwhelming. So you go through all these th- this range of emotions um, leading up to it, and even while you're there, you know, I remember. Uh, The short program, I was fine. And then all of a sudden before my final free skate that day, I was I told my parents, like, I can't go like you need to call them, you need to tell someone that this can't happen, like come up with some excuse. But like, I don't know how to get on this bus and go. And, you know, so you have these moments where it's just it's. It's really nerve-wracking because if, if you think about it, these skaters start these careers, as silly as it sounds, at three years old, four years old. This is the dream that they're thinking of and, and hoping for. And they're in the rink you know, year after year after year, day after day. And then all of a sudden, you're on a plane and you're stepping into this dream and living it out. And you're in control of that destiny. And that's just a lot on someone's shoulders.
0: How do you manage that? that everything, you know, you don't score points, you get them deducted.
1: I mean, it's so interesting to think about like what goes into making an elite athlete or an elite figure skater or how to withstand this type of pressure or what our sport requires. Since, as you said, it's, it's a judged sport, but, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a certain personality. I look back at you know, how did I get through the, this career and, and through figure skating. And I don't know, maybe being slightly OCD type a person that I am, I kind of like the mathematical challenge of, you know, skating in a, in a sport where, or competing in a sport where, you know, I'm in control of how many more points I can rack in and how many points I lose ultimately as well
0: for people who don't know skating um very well who is more important the coach or the choreographer
1: oh that's a hard question both i mean especially i mean nowadays with the new judging system not being in the 6.0 obviously you have the technical score and artistic score and they're kind of split in half and now more than ever that everything is being accounted for you it's not just about a jump it is it is about the choreography of the program the composition of the program the the artistic Uh, merit. And, um, I would say both are so, so important and crucial to a skater's success. That would be a hard one for me to choose. Do,
0: Do they have to get along or that's not important? I
1: don't know if that's as important. I think it's again, just the relationship with the skater, you know, especially as a choreographer, you really need to be in tune with what that skater feels and how you have to have this intuitive sense of how to bring out the best, artist in, in that athlete. And that's hard to do. I look back, Sandra Bezic was my choreographer and I was so young and at the time really needing to mature way beyond my my own 15 years of age. So having someone like Sandra really mold and and figure out ways to bring out either my passion for the sport or the emotion for a certain music that seemed to click with me, all of those things are 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 so important to crafting a program.
0: You you mentioned the music. Do you think you could die happy if you never hear Phantom of the Opera, Carmen, oh, the War say. Horses? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They
1: they <laughs> still they still play. They still play in figure skating. And I don't think they ever will not. I mean obviously, you know, skating has tradition and and there's something that draws skaters to the classics. And and maybe it's because maybe the judges, you know, an international cast of judges, it, 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 it bonds them somehow, but it's always nice to, 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 to hear something new and different.
0: <laughs> yeah. Working as you know, Dick button is, I always say Dick button from everyone I've ever met. He has the most impressive one sentence resume. You know, his is what five time world champion, two time gold, Harvard and Harvard law school. He,
1: it really, it, it's insane. He is one of a kind
0: he let everyone know he was the smartest man in the room. And he was. <laughs> he
1: was. I know. I mean, I I remember when he commentated for me, I would just always, A, be very nervous about what he was going to say. But B, I respected his opinion so much and would try so hard the next event or next competition to, to fix whatever he saw wrong.
0: Well, how do you do, how do you approach commentating? Like, how do you mix constructive criticism with as you know Dick would just be disgusted. Dick Button on the air if your back weren't arched perfectly, he would be disgusted. So how, how do you mix that?
1: Well, I think just personally for me it's you know, I've been in these skates before. These skaters, I I know what they're going through and and each skater is at a different phase in their career and whether they're having a great moment or a, a disappointing season I've been there. I know what that feels like. So I think it's easy to give criticism that is constructive because I just think back to my career and how either my coaches or my team handled handled me or gave me um, their opinion on and what I needed to improve upon. But I think that's sort of the way that I I look at my commentary is pointing out what may be wrong but also what might be right. And then, you know, I think the most important thing is not just for the skater, but for the audience at home, an audience that may not know the ins and, and outs of figure skating to really try to, to educate them so they can pick out these things on their own when they, they watch the next skater.
0: That's how I try to teach women. A lot of women, they don't get football at all. I just say, you know, just little things, right? Watch the, watch what happens when the ball snap. If the offensive line moves forward, then that's going to be a run. If they move back, it's pass protection, but you're right.
1: That's so much fun when you do stuff like that, because I feel like that's what um, is, is easy. And it's, it's sort of like the instruction manual to figure skating or to a sport (laughs) where you, you show them maybe some, you know, tricks of the trade or, or little things to keep an eye out for that they normally wouldn't be able to find on their, on their own, just because skating is, is, Is so technical. You know, there's so many moving parts on as we fly around the ice 20 miles an hour on a quarter inch blade.
0: On a butter knife. That's what I always say. They go out there and they have to smile on a butter knife. On a butter knife, 100%. You were known all your triple jumps and the triple loop, and you had, you know, quite a a great deal of athleticism, which you pulled off in a kind of a light, joyful way. But what do you see now? We haven't seen a quad completed one, right?
1: No, we have no, now we have quads now. So over the last four years, um, women's figure skating has been revolutionized completely. I've never seen something like this happen so quickly. um, And so abruptly since the last games in Pyeongchang last in 2018, it was a triple triple that won the Olympics, much like what I, I did in 98. And now within four years, The Russian women have taken it to the next level. There's not just one quad in a program, but maybe four to
0: five. I don't recall seeing somebody who completed it.
1: Well, you will this year. You will this year. So over the last four years during our Grand Prix season, they have been landing them. And at the World Championships, they've been landing them. But this will be the first Olympics where you'll see multiple skaters um, doing multiple quads in the women's event.
0: That's exciting. I remember you told me once that you used to try it in practice, I think. And didn't you say the physical toll is unimaginable?
1: It really is. And it's, you know, I mean, four revolutions in the air on on these small bodies is is difficult. But I will say, you know, nowadays, equipment's changing, skates are becoming lighter, and um, everything's so streamlined. And you have these incredible coaching teams that from a very young age are preparing these skaters and their bodies to withstand that type of, of pressure. So, you know, everything always keeps evolving and I love to see that, especially in sports. So it's, it's a very exciting time in women's figure skating.
0: If you had to handicap based on your Kentucky Derby success, which of the Russians, which one do you think will complete it successfully?
1: So, Camila uh, Valiva is definitely the heavy favorite to win gold, and she will uh, do at least three quads uh, in her program. And she's been absolutely flawless and so consistent all season. And her scores are just, uh, you know, leaps and bounds above the rest of the field. But then there's probably going to be a Russian sweep. It, it, It can happen. I'm not you know, I need to kind of I love betting and gambling on all these things. So I need to really sit down and think that through. But I do think there could be a Russian sweep and and the one of the other Russian skaters, they call her the Russian rocket and she does all of the like all of the most difficult quads and she does five in a program. So it's it's going to be really um, exciting to to watch this go down.
0: Why do you think, um, Americans, we aren't trained for that fourth revolution, or do you think it's coming? I mean, why is this all the Russians?
1: <laughs> if you go back to, to what was happening in Russian skating over the past 10 years, it's been very different than what's been happening in other areas and other countries. And, you know, specifically the United States, the, the U S women are definitely behind technically, um, Melissa Liu now has a triple axel and she can do a quad, but it's, it's a, it's, it's. Definitely seeming that the Russians had the advantage because probably about 10 years ago, five years ago, the Russian Federation, this gets technical, but it, it started to reward skaters, even very young skaters for try, for trying very difficult elements. So even if you fell, your, your value and the points you could get, you they were rewarding the risk even if you made a mistake, whereas that isn't the same in the lower levels in other countries. And I think what happened is all of a sudden you've got this influx of skaters at a very young age trying these difficult jumps and pushing themselves to the point where now it's just common. Now it's, I mean, every day uh, in Russia, there's, I always say this, I don't know what's in the water, but every day there's a new skater with a new quad.
0: Well, is it uh, in Russia, is the sport that much more exalted? I,
1: I, well, right now, you know, obviously I skated at a time where skating's popularity was was at its height and I do think it's cyclical and it, and it sort of moves around the world. You know, right now in Russia and Japan, skating is so popular. These skaters are like celebrities and it, not so much in the US, but I think that again, cyclical. It will change. It will come back once there's, you know, maybe also some more names to to hold on to and to root for, which you know, everyone loves. You wanna you want to tune in when you know that the skater from your country is is possibly going to win gold. And so I think, you know, in time it will it will come back. I hope so. I mean that's what Johnny and I try to do every day on our broadcast is to bring people back to the sport.
0: Finally, tell me how you as a commentator would have described uh, the way you skated and the way Michelle skated. It was such a great rivalry, and there were definite differences in the way you presented your talent. How, how would you have described it?
1: I would have never been the skater I was without Michelle Kwan. You know, to to try to to beat one of the best skaters in the world, I knew I needed to push the bar technically. I knew I needed to try so many new elements, which I did. And I don't think if she wasn't there um, maybe I would have done that. I look back Mm -hmm. fondly at our, our rivalry, especially, you know, coming off of the 94 Tanya and Nancy uh, drama. It was so nice to, to have Mm -hmm. two figure skaters from the U S that had a lot of respect for each other and, and had a, Mm -hmm. a a fun, intense rivalry Mm -hmm. to, to watch and, and, and just, you know, we swapped back the gold and, and silver so many times over the years, but you know, I was two years younger. Michelle um, definitely had that head start. And that was what made it, it's, it it's so fun and difficult for me to catch up as quickly as I can and try to mature beyond my 14 and 13 and 15-year-old and self. Um, obviously, I loved the technical side of the sport. And, you know, by the time I won my world championships, I sort of fell into Understanding with with Sandra Bezic, you know, leading that ship of how important it was to to build an artistic presence on the ice, and you know, I loved skating so much. There, you know, looking back, I that's how I got through it. I, you know, I was so nervous and 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 worried most of the time, but when I got on the ice, that's when I really let go. And I think I tried to, you know, and Sandra as well to to pick pieces and 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 musical selections that showcased what I felt about the sport. And that was sort of my secret advantage. I, I felt, you know, when it came to that artistic score, because I wasn't a 20 year old, um, you know, woman with a lot of life experience that could skate to some beautiful love story and, and, and bring forth, you know, emotion that, that needed to be developed over the years to come.
0: Yeah. And people, they love contrast. That's why Martina Navratilova and Chris Ever, one was a baseliner, one was serving volleyer. And, you know, Michelle was elegant and you were joyful and athletic. And I'll tell you, it was just a blast to watch you. So (laughs) thank you so
1: much. I know it's been so many years. It's, it's I know, crazy. I
0: know. No, it's great to talk to you. So, thanks so much. I can't wait to see the outfit. Can you tell the color? Can you tell us? Anything yeah, it's about white. It? Okay.
1: It's beautiful. We're both Ooh. in white. Johnny has an amazing little jacket, and <laughs> and the beading on my dress is is absolutely stunning. So, I'm so honored to wear it.
0: Great. Well, more reasons to watch the skating. Thank, thanks Tara. It was really fun. Yes, this
1: was so fun. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the XM Podcast Network and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, sound design by Robert Moore, and special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week. SiriusXM Podcasts.